Hello, and welcome to Fact Schmacks, the podcast good enough to get you a C. Minus. My name's Matt, and I've got a story to tell you. And my name's Kev, I have a story to interrupt. All righty. All right. Kevin. Matthew. How's your week been? It's been fantastic. That's good. Yours? My week has been a little chaotic. It's been a little something, yeah, we've talked about this. It's been a little chaotic, so there is going to be a little bit of a a change to the Fax Smacks schedule as I have found out with about nine days notice that that I'm going to be flying somewhere. Um, and, uh, so, so that's a whole thing and I've had to get ready for that, but, but I'm going to be gone. And so we're going to try to keep the regular schedule going because we love you, the listener, but the, the fast fact schmacks that comes out in between, uh, unfortunately, as we're trying to cram a few recording, a few episodes in on the quick here, uh, the fast fact schmacks are going to be a casualty of my sudden, uh, trip. Which, for the seven people listening, we yeah. apologize. We, we do hey, apologize. Can, can, can we briefly touch on, maybe not exactly where you're going, but the kind of climate you may be going to? Yeah, we could. Uh, yes, I'm going somewhere warm, which yeah. is nice. Now, I have this theory in my head, and I want to run it by you, and I want to make sure I do it while we're on a podcast, that okay. I think against a white, sandy beach, you will still stand out as white. Do you agree? <laughs> Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. You're going to yeah. wear sunscreen, right? Oh, yeah. Like a lot. A lot. Okay. Yeah. All right. I just wanted to make sure. Oh, yeah. I'm going to cake uh, that stuff on. Okay. I don't think you've seen a lot of sun. I just. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. When when I was, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I burned my, I got a sunburn. It was really, really bad. From the and TV? It, no. <laughs> Rewatching Baywatch <laughs> from a from a grade eight graduation pool party, and oh like my, my my shoulders just they blistered right up, uh, and uh, at the same time uh, I was I was going in to see a dermatologist a lot for a uh, for an unrelated oh, this, issue. This, what's that unrelated issue? Uh, Come on, share it with the world. Uh, it, it, it doesn't involve my health, so I don't, I don't really want to get into it. Uh, okay. It was something that was family related, um, but that's just, I was getting some, some consultation for, uh, so, um, yeah, um, I basically got told that if I sunburn a lot, like you're going to get cancer, but if you, oh, that's not, God, why do you always have to make things so dark? We're yeah, just having a good time with that. So I do try to be very, very careful. Like I've just got, I've got the wrong type of skin for being in this, for being really in this burning in the sun a lot. Yeah. Um, and I don't really want to push it. I actually have a dermatologist appointment booked for when we get back to have like three or four <laughs> things looked at already. Get so. your freckles checked. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, yeah. I'm very conscious about that sort of thing as, as everybody should be, you know, it's uh Oh, 100% you should be. Yeah. I like it's funny, like, you know, you know, you blah. wow, word soup. You know your body pretty well. I've, I was familiar with most of my freckles, and in the last maybe 10 years, I have like new ones where I'm just kind of like, oh, mm, what's yeah. that from? Yeah. <laughs> 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 oh, that's not good. <laughs> but well, anyhow, speaking, speaking of things that are true, or perhaps 
not true. Mm-hmm. One may never know. Yeah. Uh, so I do have a fact schmacks game. Um, and then after, I just want to roll something out. So don't let me forget. Okay. Or we'll ruin everything. Okay. All right, Matthew. So we've been keeping score. And we we're at 2-1. Uh, and we that is in favor one. of me. It is. So if, if I win today, I get the you coveted win. facts schmacks trophy. Yeah, which the, is good the for inaugural. Like a week. Yeah. Yeah. We're going to have to make like a little cup or something. Very C, C minus ish. Uh-huh. You know, like a little awards trophy. Yeah. All right. And maybe we, we, we make, because we're at a distance, so we make two of them and just only one person can display it proudly. <laughs> Dude, maybe we should have like a little fact schmacks crown. Ooh. Hey, mm-hmm. that'll be pretty good. Good. Be. We right, got to brainstorm this. I'm getting a little silly here. So we've got facts schmacks for you here. Matt, you like The Simpsons? I like The Simpsons. The Simpsons get often referenced on this show. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's somebody out there who every episode is like, worst episode ever. Yep. <laughs> yep. So uh, <laughs> we got some facts for you here. Factor schmacked. Milhouse from The Simpsons. His middle name is Mussolini. So his okay. name would be Milhouse Mil- Mussolini Van Houten. Okay. Okay, so that's fact or schmacked one. Yeah. Fact or schmacked, Matt. Uh-huh. Maggie Simpson is voiced by none other than show creator Matt Groening. Okay. Okay. All right. Fact or schmacked. TV's Bob Odenkirk, who plays Saul Goodman in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, was once a writer for The Simpsons. So those are your three facts or schmacks. All right. Two facts, one schmacked. So Bob Odenkirk writing for The Simpsons, that checks out. Uh, he's, he's a writer. He's been around for quite some time. Um, I Yeah, I believe that he could have wrote for The Simpsons. Okay. Um, <clears throat> Milhouse Mussolini. (laughs) (laughs) Is that one you having a hard time with that? I don't know about I don't know about it, but also Matt Groening voicing voicing Maggie. So like what he just the sucking like the 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 pacifier sucking sounds Mm -hmm. because her when she did speak in one episode it was uh oh what's her name not Elizabeth Hurley uh. Oh, it'll come to me eventually, but it'll be too late. Yep. Famous actress, anyhow, did the voice. Okay. Where she just says daddy in one episode. Mm. So. Mm. Mm-hmm. But every episode she makes that noise. She does. And could that have been Mac Reining that that recorded that? Uh, is Mac Reining I told you I was going to up my game a bit here, buddy. Yeah. Ah. Oh, oh, we got a stumper. Oh, boy. Nice. This is tough. This is yeah. tough. Milhouse. What's it going to be, though? Milhouse Mussolini. Mussolini. Van Houten. Yeah. 
I think you what made you that think? one up. I think you made up Mussolini. Really? Yeah. That's true. That's true? That's absolutely true. You win? <clears throat> I win. Now, <sighs> I'll give you a little little rubberneck round here. Okay. Out of the two remaining, which one's the schmacked? Uh, it's the... Uh, The macaroni one, then. <laughs> wow. Really? That's so, true. So, okay. So, Bob Odenkirk so did not Bob write for the So, Bob Odenkirk Simpsons. is not a writer for The Simpsons. His little brother, Bill Odenkirk, is a writer for The Simpsons. Okay. All right. I was ready to believe that just based on uh, <laughs> Well, Bill Odenkirk is on... Of- he does have a lot of bylines on The, um, on the Simpsons, Bill Odenkirk, but it's actually... Bob Odenkirk's little brother, Bill. Oh. So it's not it's not Saul Goodman. It's his brother. Okay. Yeah. There oh, you go. Well, you've go- you caught me good. Wow. <laughs> Talk now, myself. I'm ready to believe anything Bob Odenkirk is involved in. <laughs> <laughs> now, one of the things that's just happened, we've had a breaking development here. While you were hemming and hawing, I felt my 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 Apple Watch start vibrating. Okay. I thought to myself, who could be trying to get a hold of me so badly right now? Mm-hmm. And that's my lovely fiance. And she has messaged me and said, not a crown. You need a dunce hat for the victory. <laughs> and I think that is one of the most brilliant ideas ever. Well, no, it has to be. If it's a dunce hat, it has to be the other way around. The loser has to wear the dunce, dunce cap. I, I don't know. I don't know what we're measuring for success here. <laughs> That's been the problem. <laughs> What's our metrics actually measuring here? Well, that's good because a dunce cap is easy to do, right? You need a piece of cardboard yeah. and you're done. You, you have to do paper. It. Listen, you have to do that right, especially in these days, though. <laughs> that can go one of two ways pretty quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's true. <laughs> well, don't use any fabric. Like... <laughs> No, okay. Doesn't come down and cover the face. (laughs) (laughs) So we actually have um, a couple bonus facts here. So on our Facebook page, and if you haven't checked us out on any socials, be sure to uh, send us some love. It's like we're we're screaming into the void here. (laughs) (laughs) But we we did a little uh, Facts Max T-shirt giveaway, and and we got a couple noteworthy facts I wanted to read out. Um. So I'll do uh, a couple and then we'll give her a winner. I just got to scroll and find them here because I'm super prepared. So from a cat, um, fact, meows are not innate cat language. They develop them to communicate with humans. Adult cats that do not live with humans have clear communication with one another. Cats communicate with one another through scent, facial expressions, complex body language, and touch. Domesticated cats meow at humans to communicate their needs. So I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, yeah, that makes sense. It'd be very similar to how, like, a dog's bark. I mean, dogs don't necessarily. Dogs bark at each other. They do bark at each other, but that's just like, hey, hey. (laughs) You ever wonder what they're saying? Yeah, I do. It's, hey. Hey, <laughs> I always imagine they're like, hey, you got any garbage over there? I got garbage here. That's at least what I imagine my dog's yelling. Big garbage. I think like most, most dog communications, nonverbal. It's through their body language, their tail. Yeah. 
So we have another one from Sid. Fact. Bees can get buzzed by caffeine. Nectar laced with cocaine or coffee has been proven to help bees remember where flowers are and increase likelihood of return visits. (laughs) (laughs) I'd like to know who did this study. I'm asking for a friend. (laughs) Is your friend a bee? (laughs) He's a buzzed bee. He's a bee that used to be on this study and really wants back on it. <laughs> <laughs> he wants back on. He's hurting. So our winner is from our good pal, Stu. And Stu says, in World War II, this is real shitty fact, by the way. Oh, no. In World War II, British soldiers got a ration of three sheets of toilet paper a day, and Americans got 22. Wow. That's a real shit deal. That is, they were getting the bum deal there. They were getting an absolute bum deal. Oh. So Stu's our winner. Thanks for participating. And uh, if you guys are listening, definitely follow us on Facebook, Twitter. Uh, that's about it. That's about as much effort as we're putting into it. We also have a mm-hmm. Patreon. So definitely check us out there. Mm-hmm. And that's my spiel. That's it. Now I'm ready to interrupt your story. Thanks for not interrupting me. All right. I'm not going to return the same uh, courtesy. So. <laughs> <laughs> Just we're on the same page here. On January 3rd, 1961, at 9.01 p.m. Dude, that's super specific. Very specific. An alarm went off inside of a fire station in Idaho, just a little bit west of Idaho Falls. Now, this alarm was tied to an automated sensor that was in an industrial building that was about eight miles away. So the firefighters make the eight-mile trip out to this facility. And they're not really expecting to find much out of order. They'd actually been there twice already that day uh, because of false alarms. This, this particular facility was, was actually uh, had somewhat of a reputation for, for having false alarms and just being kind of a nuisance. A nuisance, yeah, just kind of falling apart. The firefighters show up to the building and nothing really seems out of the ordinary. The way this this building was constructed, there was uh, sort of a main, you know, we, what we would consider a conventional building about the size of a two-story house okay. um, that was kind of a staff area. And beside it was a large cylindrical um containment unit um, that was about 48 feet tall, about 36 feet in diameter. So a pretty large, you know, like like look, a big silo type. Yeah. Big structure. Big, yeah. Big silo type structure. Okay. So what they get in the in, silo? Well, we'll get there. We'll get there. Okay. So we'll get there when they do. So they, okay. they hit the staff area and nothing looks like it's out of the blue. They see the coffee is apparently still sitting on the table the three guys who work in the building, their their coats are still hanging on the hook. And they climb up the stairs. And as soon as they hit the stairs, their radiation equipment starts going haywire. The radiation detection equipment Ooh. starts going haywire. So they back off and they think, well, this that's probably a mistake. Let's because it looked like it just shorted out, you know. So they grab some different equipment and they go back and same thing happens. 
at 9.17, so they had arrived there at about 9.10. At 9.17, a health physicist uh, showed up. He and a, one of the uh, assistant chiefs uh, of the fire department there put on protective suits and they tried to make their way up the stairs. They <clears> measured <throat> at the, the base of the stairs 25 uh, rock ends per hour. And as they uh, were going up, it, it rose to fifth or sorry, 500. Yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> that's a really, really good. So all they can really do is open the door and kind of peer inside. And they see no sign of, of the men they're looking for, but they do see that there's water all over the floor and there's rocks and just shit everywhere. But they have to they have to head back because there's they're taking a ton of radiation. So eventually they form a plan. Anybody who's going to go into this facility can only spend a maximum of 60 seconds in there. So they start taking turns, making trips, 60 seconds in, 60, uh, and then you're out. Immediately they find- Dude, that's two- like Chernobyl. Yeah. That's what they did when they were cleaning the roof of Chernobyl. They had the bio bots and they could only go up for like a minute. And that was yeah. a lifetime radiation dose. Yeah. Um, they immediately found two of the men. One was- was dead and the other was moaning, just rolling around and moaning. Um, it took him a considerable amount of effort, but they managed to get that guy onto a stretcher. And this is like, you know, teams are doing this in 60 second intervals and they do it and they get out of the, him out of there, but he only lived for about 15 minutes. Uh, his name was Richard McKinley. And the man who was dead next to him was a guy named John Burns. There was a third man that they were looking for, and they could not find him. They're going in, they're clearing stuff out, or, or you know, searching in sixty-second groups, and eventually, someone comes out and he says he saw something funny on the ceiling. Looked like a bunch of rags that were dirty. And the next guy goes in, Ooh. and he figures out that that's the third guy they're looking for. And oh he's, no. He's pinned to the ceiling by a metal rod, straight up impaled. Now he's dead. Like there's nothing they can do for him. He's Damn, he's toast. Dude. So what were they doing there, and what was this facility? What did these happened? are great questions that I have for you? <laughs> yes, please I've kind of, please fill me in here. I've kind of backloaded this uh, story. I've started at the end, and we're going to go back to the beginning. Well, as you can guess, the facility that they were in was a nuclear reactor. Obviously, um, it was a military project. That's why the firefighters going in had radiation detectors on them. They knew yeah, what I was going to ask, facility. like, is yeah. that standard equipment? And maybe no. it is, but I don't think so. But no, they knew what it was. Oh, uh, this is so I've never heard this. This is very fascinating. This is was the um, this particular reactor was called the SL1. SL standard or stood shitty for, luck. Yeah. Stationary low-powered reactor number one. The U.S. military was trying to design a portable, shrinkable reactor. Like the sort of thing. Yeah, I did. I'm I'm sorry. That's okay. That's a beautiful sound. Um, (laughs) um, you know, this think like nuclear submarines, right? They were just kind of 
rolling out that idea. Well, what if you could put a, a nuclear reactor on an airplane and keep it in the air indefinitely? You know, they were, what that was good as that. All during the cold war. Oh, keep the plane in the air. indefinitely. yeah. Keep the plane yeah, yeah, in yeah. the air indefinitely. That's <laughs> like, what could the power station in the air? <laughs> yeah, no. Dumb, keep dumb. the plane in the air. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Boy, oh boy. I wish like really, I wish we had were... scrubbers and we could just go back and redo that part. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, here we go. You know, they were trying to make the Fallout universe real where every car had a little uni- uh, uh, nuclear okay. power reactor in it. So That's they cool. were trying. Yeah. So that was the dream. Well, we need to kind of get into the weeds a little bit here about nuclear power. Um, we like weed? We like, yeah, we like weeds. We've talked about nuclear reactions before, right? So this is going to be, you know, kind of to expand on that concept. The The basic, um, the basics of a nuclear uh, reactor, the sort that makes power, is that neutrons hit other uh, atoms and split them uh, or react with them. They fire off more neutrons. Um, they don't split them. That would be bad. Sorry. They're just reacting and firing off more neutrons, creating more neutrons, creating a chain reaction. Um, if something, if a reactor is, um, you know, making less reactions on average than it already has, it's, it's subcritical if it's just kind of Keeping it at the same level, it's critical. If it's making more reactions, it's supercritical. A uh, nuclear power reactor might be supercritical or subcritical or critical, you know, just depending on what right. they're doing, whether they're ramping up or or, or scaling down power. Now, the, the, the thing we got to add here in terms of what's going to be important here is there's two types of neutrons that get fired off um, during these reactions, these nuclear reactions. There's neutrons called prompt neutrons, and there's neutrons called delay neutron, delayed neutrons. Basically, we're delayed neutrons. We're de- we're we're delayed a lot of things. Um, yeah. yeah. Basically, um, when uh, one of these atoms gets hit by a neutron, it's going to fire off a neutron really fast, and that neutron is going to be going very fast, and then it is going to fire off one that is going to be going slower, and that one is delayed. Um, the prompt. Um, neutrons are actually not good for a nuclear power type reaction. You want to actually slow them down. So you, so having like a moderator, like heavy water to slow down those prompt neutrons is a good thing. So this was a, a water-based nuclear reactor, um, where it had those, you know, prompt neutrons that it's using the, the heavy water to slow down. The cool thing about designing reactors with, um, water, uh, coolant, uh, just just seeing your drinking problem there. <laughs> <laughs> I totally missed my mouth. Yeah, you did. Uh, I was hoping you'd just keep going with the story. But nope. <laughs> let's, let's address that for a minute. All right. <laughs> so the cool thing about having water as a moderator is if the reaction starts to get out of control, in theory, the water's going to start evaporating. And that's going to mean that there's less water there to slow down these prompt neutrons. And they'll just kind of get away and it'll slow the reaction down on its own. That's not like a great situation for a reactor to be in, but it's it is one of the kind of fail safes for a nuclear reactor. But it can also kind of get too far. Like, like if if there's too much going on and that water starts evaporating, it can it can get real bad. Like that 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 water moderation will only help you to to a point. We're gonna kind of get right. into that 
later. But um, there's two types of nuclear reactions, really. There's a prompt critical reaction, which, uh, as you might guess, involves mostly prompt uh, neutrons. That's like the sort of reaction that you have at a nuclear explosion. Uh, you're, you're mostly getting your, that from prompt neutrons versus a sustained reaction. You're mostly getting that from your delayed neutrons or slowing them, your prompt neutrons down. Right. So we're just going to leave this kind of prompt critical versus uh, sustained reaction thing where it is um, and talk about the scalability of nuclear power. There's a reason you don't see really small nuclear reactors, and that's because by design, they the way they work is you get a bunch of nuclear fuel together and you put it really close to each other and you arrange it in a certain way, and that's going to encourage a, a nuclear reaction to start. And you, chain, you, you, you control that using what's called control rods. These control rods dip in, kind of fill spaces between these, these fuel cells, and they will moderate and they can even completely stop the reaction if they're all the way inserted. Generally, so that's pardon? like in, in Chernobyl, they had the control rods. Now, not every reactor uses control rods. Per okay, se. yeah. I don't think, I don't think the Candus do. I think they use, no, they have uh, control rods. I think they have, I thought they had water. No, I feel like I should really know this answer, but. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're control rods. Cause they're the, the it's the mechanism that's different. Their control rods are con controlled by an electromagnetic, um, basically gravity. If the electromagnetism fails, gravity drops the control rods all the way in. Uh, is one of the safety precautions of a candy reactor. I believe I was reading the last time we were talking about uh, nuclear reactors. Okay, uh, well that um, may we'll look at that for maybe a future fact schmacks QA. Sure, <laughs> we'll definitely I think there, I think that. there always is a control rod in a nuclear reactor. I think that's a pretty important part of of the design of them, uh, pretty much all of them. But uh, unless it's like the space ones, because th those tiny little ones are are a little different. Right. Yeah. Um. Anyways, um, when you shrink a nuclear reactor down. An interesting thing starts to happen where each individual control rod, first of all, you need far less of them, and each one becomes more and more important. So by the time they had shrunk a reactor down to be the size um, it was, um, which was, you know, comfortably housed inside this 48-foot by 36-foot building, it already had a... big. It's still big, right? It already yeah. had a pretty critical design failure. Um, so the central control rod could start the reaction all by itself um, just by inserting it or, 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 or removing it or inserting it. You could start the reaction entirely with one control rod. Now, that's usually kind of a no-no in terms of nuclear reactor design. You don't want to make any one control rod that important because if something goes wrong with that control rod, you are totally boned, right? Yeah, for sure. You know, just to give context here, the reactors that we're going to be talking about have five control rods and the one in the middle is can basically do the job by itself. 
uh, Chernobyl had um, 250 some odd control rods. Uh, and they just, I, don't, I think, what's the issue there that one got jammed, but they were all kind of connected at the top, so uh, they all got jammed? So what kind of happened at Chernobyl was, uh, and this is like the complete C minus, maybe even a D version. Uh, I have read a few books on it, and uh, um, what had happened was the reactor wasn't super stable at low criticality. It was kind of one of those... Turn it on, turn it off, but don't feather it, right? Yeah. And and they had a What's point, feathering just to Well, like I mean, if say say you have like uh I mean with a gas pedal, you know, you're either either hammering the gas or just let off it. You're not just kind of okay. trying to keep that needle up just a little bit, right? It, okay, I gotcha. It wasn't a stable but what happened was uh, it started developing a lot of heat. I don't know exactly why it wasn't safe at like a low level, but they were doing a low level test. Yeah. And the tips of the <clears throat> control rods, I believe, were tipped with graphite. Yeah. So when they went to drop the control rods back in, there was something about that graphite which excited the reaction. Mm. And it basically was just enough to push it over and cause the explosion. But part of the reason that 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 happened, because if the rods had just dropped straight in, that wouldn't have happened. But the rods got stuck when they hit that button. There is one. I don't know if it was just one because I don't know if it was that they were all connected and, and were pushed down by the same mechanism. And if just one of them got jammed, it was going to stop them all from going in. But I think part of the problem was that the rods got stuck half inserted. And so then the graphite tip is just exposed to the reaction rather than. Um, rather than at the bottom of it, like it got stuck there in the, in the worst possible place. All right. So what I'm going to do is I'm, I'm at my desk. I got my handy pen and paper here. Yeah. I'm just going to say next week we're going to address this. We're going to look at do can do's have control rods. Yeah. And do or did a control rod get stuck to get stuck at Chernobyl to cause it. And we'll take a look at that and bring that up next Okay. Next week or whenever you're back from from your my undisclosed your location. Party, your yeah. undisclosed secret location. Secret uh, lair. Yeah. So back to this SL1 and the way that it is uh designed there. Like I said, the center control rod in this arrangement, their their control rods were kind of arranged like the five the five piece on dice on or on the face of a die. Right. Um so the middle one could start the reactor if it's if you pull it up uh, all on its own. The other ones don't really matter. You can do whatever you want with them. Um, well, why were they there? Mm, overdesigned. Yeah, somebody was no. like, "You can't just have one." They're like, "Well, we'll have five, but four of them are useless." I think there were supposed to be eight, and even like the ones in the those ones were so redundant that they ended up filling them with like sensors and stuff. So uh, okay. it turned out it was really they just this one in the middle was. For the way they had designed it was they were was way too too powerful. Um, to make matters worse, the control rods in this thing had a history of jamming up and getting stuck to the point where the military like manual for dealing with this um, said to like exercise these control rods every once in a while to make sure that they they don't get like gummed up and and stuck. Right. So. 
This reactor on the day in question, on January 3rd in 1963, I said, I think I've said, um, it was supposed to be started up from a completely shut down state. So the control rod had been completely inserted. That process involved manually lifting a 50-pound control rod, the center one, four inches. Four inches only and no further. That's what I that's what I uh, tell the old lady. <laughs> Four inches only, no more. <laughs> no, no less, no more. No less, no more. Well, let's talk about who the guys were who were put in charge of doing this. They're all under 30, and by all accounts, none of them had any significant amount of experience in nuclear power. One in particular. That's the military for you. Yeah. One in particular um the uh McKinnon I think it was uh McKinley sorry um he was he had like just started there he was like he had been there for like 2 weeks um John Burns um who was one of the more senior you know of the of the three one of the two more senior people there um in particular he had received a phone call at 7 p.m. from his wife uh asking for a divorce there was a, a rumor circulating that she was having an affair with Richard Legg, who is the other man uh, in this three-man group. Uh, but there's what? no evidence of that. Um, but, you know, it is – it's it's kind of always noted as part of the story. I don't think this really has anything to do with it other than just to go into, like, what this guy's frame of mind was as he was going about his day. The last conversation he had with his, with his wife is how they were going to split his last paycheck – so he's having so like he's a, probably super happy. He's having a world class shitty day. <laughs> uh, he'd been sleeping sure. on like a couch for a few days. Well, what happened? At 9 p.m., the men had started their task of restarting the reactor. John Burns had been hunched over the control rod. He's the guy who whose wife had given him the bad call, preparing so, to lift it. So they're like literally lifting it by hand. Hand. Four inches, no further. This thing weighs 50 pounds. Because okay. if you if you lift it too much, you could start a prompt critical reaction. These guys just, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like in the 60s, the military just did not give a fuck. I mean, yeah, go get, go get nuked. Yeah. yeah. Like, I can't imagine. I mean, you can work on reactors. I've, I've seen it. I've, I've done it. It's possible. Uh, yeah. But it's the last thing you want to do. You don't want to just rely on some human lifting this thing. Yep. It's stupid, <laughs> but whatever. That's so sorry. Yeah. They, John Burns hunched over the control rod. He's preparing to lift it. Richard Legg uh, is standing behind him, looking over his shoulder. And McKinley, the trainee, is standing a few feet off to the side, just kind of looking at what's going on. This is at least what people think based on where the bodies were found. Yeah, okay. So how they were how do they know if all these yeah, guys were dead. What they were doing. For whatever reason, when Burns goes to pull the rod out, rather than pulling it out four inches, he pulled it out twenty inches. That's what they figure based on looking at um, scratch marks on the rod, that that's how far it got pulled out. Now, it took about four nanoseconds, I think, for the reactor at that point to go prompt critical and it exploded. Now, it Damn. didn't 
it was contained within the explosion was mostly contained within the reactor unit itself because it wasn't a huge amount, but it's they still got like 36 kilotons of TNT or something that you know that equivalent um, of force. It blew the water towards the top of the tank, and when that happened, the water like shot the control rods out the top. One of them caught this Richard leg guy underneath his leg, funny enough, um, and carried him probably 20 or 30 feet into the air and impaled him on the ceiling. God damn, man. That is insane. That's completely insane. The tank that this thing, this thing was 20,000 pounds, jumped nine feet. They think parts of it, they think parts of it smashed the ceiling. Wow. Yeah. Um, Burns, uh, who was the guy who was um, who was doing the thing, something hit his chest, fractured his rib, rib went straight into his heart, so he died pretty much instantly. The guy who the guy who got missiled into the ceiling died in- instantly. I'm sure he never even. I'm sure he has no. He had no idea what happened. Oh, that would have happened so quick, right? Yeah. The the poor other guy lived for like two hours. And he, he just, he bled out. So was it radiation, like an acute, like, cause no. radiation takes forever. It was just yeah, like, injuries from the blast. He got like half his face blown off and part oh. of his hand blown off. And it took them so Oof. long to get him out, to get him out. <clears throat> so they had to do an autopsy on these guys, but they were substantially radioactive. They had to do it from like 10 feet away, you know, through, uh, I don't know how exactly how they did what sort of protection. Oh, in like biohazard suits, I'm sure, radiation suits, whatever they could do. They had to cut parts of the body off using um, surgical tools that were attached to 10-foot welded pipes that they could control from from that far away that they had custom made by, by a welding shop in the area. That's crazy. Uh, yeah, but they did complete the autopsy. Um, unfortunately, the bodies were not able to be returned to the family. They were buried in lead caskets in a nuclear waste containment facility. And, uh, that shut the, the SL program down completely. It kind of put so, the nail in the coffin f- for the idea that you could scale a nuclear, sorry, a nuclear reactor down safely. So the name of this was SL1? SL1, yeah. So there was never an SL2, I guess? Well, I think there were a few of these facilities built. Uh, yeah, but because like was... they asked, they asked other operators. So as part of this, you know, this whole I, I did mention this whole um, aspect of the the rumor about um, the love potential love triangle between this Burns and Leg and and uh, Burns's wife. They had asked a bunch of the other operators who you know work either worked in the same facility or worked in other similar facilities. Like these things were designed to be placed in like Alaska at radar stations, right? So they, right. they were asking him, you know, did you know what would happen if you pulled the central control rod out? And they were like, yeah, we always talked about that. That's what you, that's what we'd all do if, if the Russians, you know, were, were invading. Cause they knew it would kill everybody in the building. Oh my God. So some people thought that it was, um, that, you know, there's a lot of rumors that this guy did it on purpose as like a murder suicide. And this other guy is just kind of caught in the middle. Um, oh, wow. Apparently, these two guys just didn't get along. Th- that's not 
what I believe, but that's always part of the story. I I think more likely what happened is this rod was stuck and he was trying to to work that's it out. And he, and he jerked it out and you know wouldn't have had, he wouldn't have even had time to register that he'd done it. Yeah, see that just, that to me is just uh, one. It's like a blatant design flaw. Oh, like yeah. if you can only lift it four inches, you should have there, dude. Like, there should be like a stopper from stopping it from well, going further than that or yeah, like something. Yeah, a simple, a simple stopper or to, I mean, it's a nuclear fucking reactor. Build something with lifters that has a limit switch. I mean, yeah. I'm, like as a mechanic, I've I've seen these things. It's 100% doable. It is not complex. I mean, was that doable in 1960? 100%, dude. Okay. 100% to have something that could lift it remotely with a limit switch. A, yeah, 100% doable. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I mean... Any, anytime clearly, you rely on people, you you introduce human error. Yeah, clearly right? uh, this was designed... Not even allegedly? No, designed okay. very poorly, and that's... Oh, uh, yeah, that was, 100%. That was kind of the conclusion at the end of it, that this was poor design. They had, um, you know, not enough training. They were putting people in their mid-20s in charge of nuclear reactors like well, with that, no oversight that reminds me very much of the uh titan missile uh thing and i think it touched on it in one episode in in arkansas they had a titan missile blow up and the guys who were in charge of the propellant uh fuel systems and stuff they were just these like young 20 22 year old guys like a 25 year old guy would have been like the old man on the crew and they're fueling and handling nuclear fucking icbms yeah. And and they Oof. fucked it up and launched a nuke like hundreds of feet out of a missile silo. Oof. Right? Like that's an interesting story. There's a good documentary on it called Command and Control on I think it's on PBS. You can get it on YouTube for free, I think. Yeah. But that reminds me a lot of that. You know, two, three guys went in, a couple guys died, young dudes who made a little mistake, and uh oh. Yep. You know, like the no, military, nobody I, should be put in a position where a little mistake, like at work, where a little mistake is, you know, that, uh, yeah, um, has that, Dude, that what bad happens, consequence. It happens all the time. Like, That's I get that people thing. need to be, you know, careful, but like, you know, there needs to be safety. Safety needs to be the first priority. And a lot of times it, it, it's not. No. And it's, I think, especially in the 60s, in the military. <laughs> like, I think there's a lot of times where you could say, especially, that was a, you know, that life wasn't that important. Yeah. Well, on this show, for sure, we've definitely learned that. But it is like, you know, when they did those nuclear missile tests in the 50s and they would they would blow, a, you know, something up in Bikini Atoll and they'd have sailors on a ship 60 kilometers away and they'd be going in and cleaning the fallout and shit. And yep. then they're all dropping dead 20 years later. And it's like, God damn. Yeah. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. That's a super interesting story. I had zero idea about. Yeah. That's the yeah, first I'm nuclear uh, reactor um, meltdown in us on us soil. Okay. Uh, yeah, Cause I, I think three say. mile Island was, was a bigger incident, but, uh, but that was the first one. Three Mile Island was like 70s, right? Yeah, uh, 70s or 80s anyways. Bef uh, bef before our time. And then they had that movie, like the China Syndrome. 
you ever see that? It was like, uh, I think Robert Redford was in it. I didn't see and it. And it was this thing where like, um, it was right after, it was either, it was either right before or right after three mile Island where oh, uh, you would have like the nuclear meltdown and it would melt all the way through to China or something. Yeah. And they, uh, um, yeah. And it started like a nuclear panic. And so no, nuclear. Yeah. I think after that story, I think it is important <laughs> to just say that we're both, you know, pr- very much in favor of nuclear power. Like it is safe. Uh, if you yeah. do it right. Like, if and you, if you, it's if that's the big if though, man. And if you're willing to spend the money refurbishing reactors that are old, which you should. Yeah. And they spent, they just did crazy things in the fifties and sixties. Well, the facility I worked in, they had, um, there was a facility from the fifties or whatever. And when you walked in there, you were just kind of like, man, this is a different time. <laughs> like you can just tell where everything was placed and it was like, yeah, they, these walls aren't that thick. <laughs> it was pretty crazy. But, uh, but yeah, like the stuff, well, the stuff like, uh, a lot of can do's are, I mean, that's 60s, 70s technology right there. Yeah. A lot of those plants were built in the seventies. So we're not too far off this time period for what we're still using, which of course are like the ones in our country are all being refurbished up to like modern and, and they're over designed. Like, yeah, you're talking like seven foot thick walls and stuff like they're nothing's getting out of there. <laughs> I no. hope. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, super fascinating story. Well, I've got amusing for you today. Oh yeah. Now, now, just before we we get into this, there's something I'd like to do to just set the uh, set the tone. Please, please keep your top on. <laughs> <laughs> set the tone of this uh, of this musing today. So, just you know, this so you know what we're going to be doing here. So, Mike's ear, Matt's mic is so good that you cannot hear his massive bong rip three inches away because it makes oh, zero be noise. To- They'll be able to hear it on my end. That's the uh, that's the discoid cord noise noise filter. Oh, is it there? Yeah. Okay. So I mentioned this before. I want to talk about a big number, man. Just oh, a God. really big number. I'm we. I mentioned before uh, in one of these that if you shuffle a deck of cards sufficiently, you will. Sorry, make I'm just a, trying to catch up to you here. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if you sufficiently shuffle a deck of cards, you know, if it's as long as it's not a new deck and or if it is and, you, you know, you, you do a real good shuffle, couple couple riffles, you know, what have you. Couple couple ruffles, couple riffles, couple, couple ruffles. Chances are very good that you have made an arrangement of cards that has never existed before and will never exist again in the future. Now, why can I be so confident in saying that? Well, because the number of possible different permutations of a deck of cards is a really, really big number. Now, I want to try to get to explain to you how big this number is by relaying it to seconds. How big is 52 factorial? That's what you call it, uh, the number of of different permutations. You call it 52 factorial because that's just the the math equation used would be 52 times 51 times 50 times 49 times 48 times 47 times, yada, 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 all the way down. Okay. What do you wind up with? You wind up with 8 
6.065 times 10 to the 67th power. What that means is it's an 8 with 67 zeros behind it. That's a pretty big number. But it's hard to kind of comprehend that with nothing to compare it against, right? Okay. Do you think that's comparable to the amount of seconds that have passed since the universe began? Uh, I'm going to go with the under here and say no. No. There, uh, there's been one times 10 to the 18th seconds since the Big Bang. That's rookie numbers by comparison. Embarrassing. Really? Yeah. That's not even not even close. Dude, I would say my life's been almost that many seconds. Yeah. <laughs> no. That doesn't uh, seem like that long in the grand scheme of things. You know, it's it's uh it's funny how orders of magnitude, you know, you kind of forget that you need 10 of the thing that came before. So once you start stacking those zeros on, that starts to mean an awful lot to get to the next yeah. one, right? Um, how would you, let's just say you wanted to wait that many seconds, eight times 10 to the 67th. How would you pass that time? Well, there's this guy named Scott Cheapiel, and he had a great idea. Start at any point on the equator and take a step every billion years, every billion years, one step. When you've walked around the world all the way, take one drop of water out of the Pacific Ocean and discard it. Continue doing that one step every billion years. Once you've walked all the way around, you take one drop out until the Pacific Ocean is completely empty. Once the Pacific Ocean is completely empty, place one piece of paper on the ground. Refill the ocean. Repeat this process. Billion years, one step, every time you've walked around the world, one drop out of the ocean. Once the ocean's empty, put one piece of paper down. By the time that stack of paper is tall enough to reach the sun. Get out much, of here. How much time do you think is left there? Well, you've still got eight times 10 to the 67th seconds left. You haven't even actually changed the, fir the first number. If you do that a thousand times, that whole process, you would have taken a third of the time away. You would have made it till there's about five times 10 to the 67th seconds left. Now, you're probably thinking you're probably bored of walking around the earth and waiting in one spot. So to pass the rest of the time, how about this? Deal yourself five cards every billion years. If you get a royal flush, buy a lottery ticket. Keep doing this until one of those lottery tickets wins. When that happens, throw one grain of sand into the Grand Canyon. Once the Grand Canyon is full, remove one ounce of rock from Mount Everest. <laughs> Empty the Grand Canyon back out, start all over again. Do this until Mount Everest is level and you'll be 1 256th of the way there. You would have to do that 256 times before you would have waited. That in addition to the thing that I said before, um, doing that a thousand times, that's how long it would take to wait 
eight times 10 to the 67th seconds. Okay. So I just want to say, um, this is what you should tell your boy when he's grounded. And he's like, dad, can I be ungrounded now? Or when can I be ungrounded? This is the answer you have to give him. Walk around the world one billion times and take a drop. And then. <laughs> no, it's, it's, well, you would walk around the world one billion times. But it's, it's take a step every billion years. <laughs> That's insane. That's totally insane. That I can't, I no, that just seems too much. It's a, absolutely. a step every billion years. Yes. And then drain the ocean. I can't, I can't, and then, I can't fathom and, that. Right. It's such an unfathomably long time. The 4 billion years that the, uh, or sorry, the uh, the 13 billion years the universe has been around is only 10 uh, to the 18th seconds. So 52 cards. Yeah. There's that many. There's that many combinations. That many different combinations. Well, why do I always get 7-2 offsuit? <laughs> can you answer that why because there's a lot of different ways to get 7-2 offsuit in game of poker god damn is the answer there's only you know only a set number of those are meaningful to us hmm yeah that's that is super crazy now are so, you ready to have your mind truly blown I sure am and right. we skipped Kev's closing fact last week. We skipped it last week and I'm about to deliver. Uh, so oh. I've got like, I have three facts that are kind of holdovers from my fact schmacks game. They okay. were just kind of fun things that I learned along the way that I wanted to share with everybody. So if we have any Simpsons fans out there, this is the episode you want to be listening to. <laughs> uh, did you know that it takes between six to eight months to create one Simpsons episode? From writing to production and everything. Okay. But yeah, there's probably just a lot of episodes happen being produced at the same time. Uh, I don't know. I didn't dig that deep, man. It's a C minus. <laughs> well, otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> but like for, for, okay, you know how like a show like South Park can stay super relevant? Yeah. It's because it only takes like a week or two or something like three yeah, weeks to make their yeah. episodes. Simpsons is six to eight months. Uh, you know, pen to paper to TV, mm-hmm. just pretty crazy. Yeah, yeah. You would think it would be pretty quick with computers. You think they could just make it happen? Nope. Um. So one of my favorite characters, near and dear to my heart, comic book guy. Yes. You know, comic book guy. Of course, I know comic book guy. Okay. Do you know what his real name is? Oh, his real name is Quigley P. Newman. No. Oh, okay. It's Jeff Albertson. Oh, all right. Super normal name. Yeah, of course it is. <laughs> but I was like, I didn't, I didn't know he had a name, and I think that's super cool. Now, here's the best fact of all. I was saving the best for last. Okay. Uh, so you're familiar with Rainier Wolfcastle? Like, they're kind of de facto Arnold Schwarzenegger, Bruce Willis, you know, action movie hero. Yep. And, you know, his characters are uh, Radioactive Man and McBain. Yeah. Did you know... That starting in season two and ending in season four, every clip of the McBain that they show in the series, if you put them all together, makes one cohesive like mini movie. I did know that. Did yes. you know that? I yeah, just found that, that is out. the most amazing. Isn't I that love great? That. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. 
So you can find that on YouTube if you want to watch it just in its full and uninterrupted, uh, you know, entire. Because really, it's only like five or six scenes that just yeah, it's not sense. long, it's, but they yeah. make a cohesive storyline. Mm-hmm. So it makes like a little mini Simpsons movie. Yeah, you know yeah. that's what I got. That's so, awesome. Yeah. Well, thanks for listening to our show, guys. Uh, we will be kind of back next week. We have some things to kind of fill in the void. Mm-hmm. And While then we'll Matt's be sunning himself on a beach somewhere, and we're sitting here without fact schmacks. We'll have mm. something to sort of fill the void. And it'll probably be very average. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe even below average. And good night. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Fact Smacks. We hope you enjoyed our show. If you want to hear more, be sure to check us out on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash facts schmacks. Or you can check us out on Facebook or on YouTube or on Twitter.com at Fact Schmacked Pod. We also have a website, factschmacks.xyz, because we know you haven't had enough yet. Sure. <laughs> <laughs>